You're listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. Hosted by Rev Yearwood, Mustafa Santiago Ali, and me, Antonique Smith. Each week, we host important conversations with innovators, policymakers, cultural influencers, and movement leaders who are leading the way to a 100% clean energy and just world. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. I am Rev Ewart, President and CEO of the Hip Hop Caucus. And I am Anthony Smith, Grammy-nominated singer, actress, and activist, a.k.a. your favorite artivist. And I am Mustafa Santiago Ali, Senior Vice President of the Hip Hop Caucus. Welcome to our radio show and podcast that delivers real talk on climate change and environmental justice. No sides, just the facts and stronger communities. And definitely thank you to WPFW for hosting us here in the studio. And a big thank you for all of our listeners who tune in each week and supporters. We love you all. And definitely check out our show's blog at think100.info. And be sure to follow us also on Twitter and Instagram at think100show. Well, I am super fired up. I am, I mean, this, I just can't tell you of all the action. So if you're just tuning in wherever you may be, man, you are in store for an amazing show. There's been so many great things going on and we have an amazing champion on the show today and he's going to share what it really means to start your own business in the renewable energy industry and how he is creating jobs and protecting the environment all at the same time. But before we dive into our conversation with him, let's get started with our co-host, the incredible Anthony Smith, who is going to share what's happening in the movement. Before you share, Anthony, where are you in the world? I am in Chicago. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, Anthony, it's it's, well, it's cold. It's cold here it's too. Cold though. everywhere. It's, well, I'm everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's everywhere. Uh, yeah, right. That's true. It's not cold enough in the in the Arctic. That's how this kid. Here you go. Here you go, Anthony. But, uh, that's what I'm talking about. You yeah, no. the line. <laughs> Come on, Anthony. That's right. We need, we need to be a little colder <laughs> up, up up north. But what is yeah. happening in the movement so that we can keep the Arctic cold, Anthony? Yes, sir. Well, hey, Think 100 listeners. And love you guys, Rev and Mustafa. Let me start with the new study that was released this week all about how air pollution is playing a a significant role in many women losing their babies. Mm. This is incredibly sad. I want people to understand what is happening. The study from the University of Utah says that a week, one week of bad air quality can lead to a 16% rise in risk of having a miscarriage. Mm. One week of bad air quality. When we know there are people who are living, you know, 365 around, you know, around the clock with bad air, mm. just one week of it can cause a 16% rise in the risk of having a miscarriage. Wow. It also says that living in polluted areas raises the risk that women will lose their pregnancies altogether. Air pollution has always been an issue plaguing residents of cities across the globe, and it, will, and it causes several grave health consequences. And we've, we've been hearing about so many people dying. While authorities try to improve air quality, studies predict more deaths and illnesses 
caused by rising pollution. Recent studies have also shown that people are losing as many as eight years of their lives because of the damage done by air pollution. Like, this is crazy. Yeah, Indeed. That's bananas. <sighs> so this is an addition, additional reason as, as to why we have to have strong environmental safeguards that protect our air quality. I mean, it, it's, it's literally a matter of life or death. And um, also, Reverend Mustafa, when the big money folks start telling you to watch out because climate change is real, you better pay attention. Check this out. And 400 investors who manage over $32 trillion have urged governments to act on climate change. I like that. Uh-huh. Or risk the stability of their financial systems. Ah, so climate change is starting to hit some pockets and people, know are, you know, that's the right. rich people mm-hmm. starting to run. They're going to pay attention now. <laughs> that's right. H- exactly. Hold up, they hold, hold up, hold up, wait a minute. Hold right, up, wait, hold up, wait a minute. Hold up. You know what? I, I think, you know what, Mustafa? I think we should get like a segment I think. right there when Anthony ever brings any good news. Cause you know something? She always, I mean, no, no offense, but that first segment is really tough to hear. And that's why we do this show because we want to let folks know this is not a game. Air quality. We deserve air, clean air and clean water. Yes. But when Anthony brings some good news, Mustafa, you know, she had a song called Hold Up, Wait a Minute. <laughs> yes, she did. So that anytime she brings a little bit of good news about some big money, who was telling other folk to to get out of of the fossil fuel industry? We got to have a little button that says "Hold up, wait hold a minute. up, wait a minute." There it is. There it so is. So go ahead today. Tell us more about that good news. Well, you know, I, it, it's a little still unfortunate that it ain't about people's lives necessarily, but you know, hey, it's hitting their pockets, so they care. So we're, you know, that that's great. We have another uh, <laughs> somebody else in the fight with us, I suppose. They are calling on world governments. <laughs> to step up their efforts on achieving the goals of the Paris Agreement. I like that. And, uh, yes, and commit to improved climate-related financial reporting. They have also urged leaders to drive investment into low-carbon energy by taking action such as phasing out coal worldwide. Mm. Okay? Okay. You know, as we know, the Paris Agreement was drafted in 2015, and set out to target targets to help international economies work towards reducing carbon emissions. What's different about this call is, of course, definitely the financial weight these folks carry. Thirty-two trillion. Yes, indeed. Teeth. Hold up. Hold up. Wait a minute. Trillion dollars. That's a lot of zeros. <laughs> hold up. Wait a minute. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what also stands out is the sense of urgency they're conveying. They're really serious about this. They are warning that a failure to act would create significant risks for the global economy, financial system, and society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that is some good news. Um, I'm glad we have a few more fighters on our side with the, with the $32 trillion that they're worried about. <laughs> Listen, man, however we had to go this move, you know? that, that's, a, that's, that's an important. And that's when big. you gave your report about, let me just take a little step, because I know that you mentioned two things that are very important. I know sometimes on this show we give out some information, um, and it's a little heavy. If you're just tuning in, you're tuning in to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. We try mm-hmm. to make this thing a little bit 
a little better sometimes, but it's real. We can't sometimes change the facts. And so the fact that we're dealing with air pollution, all the mothers who might have been triggered by that, you know, and, 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 and you know, we, we just want to let you know that, you know, this is, we're going to keep fighting. So, you know, and, yes. and parents, let's know, don't, don't be discouraged and know, we, but we're going to do everything we can to make sure that we're fighting for clean air and clean water. And yes, on that sir. note, Mustafa, man, what, what, what is going on with the, uh, the pipeline fights in Virginia? Yeah, no, Rev, you know, we should really frame this out for folks because as, as we share some of this information, I think folks really need to understand sort of the challenges that are out there and how much it already exists that's impacting our communities and our health. So there are 2.4 million miles of energy pipeline, Rev, that already exist inside of our country. So when people are talking about creating more pipelines, we have to ask the question, why? Most definitely. So there's a battle that's currently going on in Union Hill, Virginia. It began four years ago when Dominion Energy fired the opening shot. It almost sounds like something from an old movie, but unfortunately it's real talk and it's real what's going on in these communities. And not only was Virginia's largest utility proposing that its multi-state natural gas pipeline traverse this wooded countryside, this area where folks live, but it also suggested that a sprawling natural gas fire Compressor station be built also nearby. Now these natural gas compressors. Hold on, hold on Mustafa, real yeah. quick. Why does Union Hill sound familiar to me? I, I know a little bit about my my, my my black history, but that that name triggered something. What, what is Union Hill? Union Hill is actually a community that was founded by freedmen, by freed slaves, uh, who did everything that they could to you know navigate the bondages of slavery, uh, to be able to make their way through Jim Crowism. Um, so this community has been able to you know make it through all those various types of devastating situations, and now they want to place a natural gas compressor station in this community that already has had to deal with a number of other challenges that many other communities haven't had to deal with. And they chose this community um, in many instances because they thought that, you know, folks would just sort of allow things to happen. And actually, there were other locations that they could place these natural gas compressors in communities that pushed back and said no. One of those was around one of the sites that is associated with George Washington. Um, and the folks there said, mm, no, you're not going to put that in our community. But they chose this uh, low income and working class uh, African-American community and some white brothers and sisters who are also in this community. You know, so I want you all to just understand that Dominion sought all the, you know, all the permits that need to be in place um, and looking at this historically black community there in Union Hill. For those of you who know Virginia, it's in Buckingham County. Um, and now a number of environmental groups, concerned citizens, health advocates um, are focusing on the climate risk and the environmental risk. And Dominion Energy has been doing all kinds of things to try and convince people that this is a good idea. You know, they, they put some money on the table, Rev. You know how it goes. Instead of investing in these communities without expecting there to be some type of a quid pro quo, um, you know, they, they threw a few million dollars and said that they could do some possible things. But, you know, this is something that's seven billion dollars. That's, uh, you know, a part of the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, the 600 mile project. 
uh, coming from West Virginia. So one of the sites in West Virginia there is actually a low-income white community. Then they want to run it down through here in Union Hill. And then they want to go down into North Carolina into an indigenous community. So you see that there is uh, some similarities of the places that people not only want to run these things, but also where they want to have these natural gas compressors and, and other things that have to keep that natural gas moving. Um, now, here's the dynamic that everybody should be getting engaged with. Come on now. Now, the governor of Virginia, when he ran for office. Who, who, uh, make sure we had a lot of elections recently. <laughs> a, lot of folks, a lot of folks no longer in office no more. So let's make sure we're letting the folks know who, yes. who we're talking about here. Governor Northam. Okay. Yes. And as we always say on this show, we are nonpartisan. Doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, Republican, or independent. Uh, you better do right uh, or, or we're going to let folks know that you're doing wrong. Well, come on. We'll, we'll let them know right now then. Well, that's what we're doing. Uh, so there are a couple of dynamics there in Virginia that, you know, and we'll allow folks to go and get some information for themselves. But there is an environmental justice advisory committee that's there. The advisory committee shared uh, with the state of Virginia that this was not a good idea, along with the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, that there was no need for it. Um, and then there also is a board. Now, this board has members that are on it, and they get to vote uh, on if they get the air permit that they need or not. Now, recently, a couple of folks rolled off this board, and no one else has been appointed to the board. Um, and as of this past Monday, there was supposed to be a vote. But, you know, Mother Nature has a way of rectifying some situations. So the snowstorm that just uh, hit parts of, you know, North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina, and all the way up into South in Virginia actually delayed the vote. So the vote will now happen on uh, December the 19th. Okay. So it gives folks an opportunity to help to spread the word about these impacts that could be happening in this community and also spread the word for folks to make sure that their elected officials know how they feel about it. Um, and if there is a vote one way or the other, what you will do uh, based upon how that vote plays out. So everyone should actually go to friendsofbuckinghamvirginia.org and you can get more information about this community, about the health impacts um, that they are worried about, and also the explosion impacts that they're worried about by having this natural gas pipeline and the compressor inside of their communities. Mustafa, say that that website one more time. Yes, everyone go to friends of Buckingham, Virginia, VA dot org. And that's very, that's very important. Thank you, Mustafa, for that. One one last thing, Mustafa, you, you kind of made a connection there. I think was important. I just want you to draw this out for people who are listening, because one of the things as we have been listening to Think One Percent, they've been just commending this show. It is an award-winning show, but mm-hmm. they've been commending this show. Uh, you and Antonique and myself about how many people of color, how many women have been in this forefront. But I think you made, you made a good point that explained that this pipeline is woven through going through not only poor people of color, black people, but also poor white people. So poor people are being targeted with these pipelines, which will cause uh-huh. asthma, emphysema, cancer. So I think you need to just want to just one more time explain that when people are drawing these maps, why are they going through these? Uh, do they just proceed with the path of least resistance? Why are they just taking these pipelines through these communities? Well, they consider in many instances, sometimes these are sacrifice zones. Come on, now. Those are those areas where we place all the things that nobody wants to see, wants to smell 
smell wants to be impacted from. The other dynamic is there is an assumption that hopefully is quickly eroding that when you're dealing with communities of color, when you're dealing with lower income communities, that they uh, won't put up a fight, that they are the least uh, resistant uh, to some of these things that are happening. And that dynamic is quickly changing. So for any industries, uh, any polluting entities that think that they're going to find an easy mark, that is no longer happening. Um, and people will check you. Come on. So you really need to get it together. And you need to make sure that if we're thinking about citing things, let's not cite things that uh, are going to impact communities. There should be buffer zones. So for those who are out there who are listening, who work in state governments, county governments, and federal governments, we need to begin to better put legislation in place that creates the buffer zones. But we also need to be moving to 100% renewable energy Come so on we now. don't have to Come deal with situations. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. So, I mean, it's really that simple. We can create all the jobs that we need from renewable energy. Energy. We can help our health care system not be overly impacted uh, by all of these conditions and diseases uh, that are coming from people being exposed to these types of things. So stop operating from a 20th century paradigm. It is time to move to a 21st Come century on, paradigm Come on, and do the right things. And that's why we need a Green New Deal. Come on. Come on, Mustafa. Yo, yo, we need to have, the, Sierra, we need to have some heat up here where we can have the hold up, wait a minute song. Just keep that right there. Ding, 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 ding. Hold up. Wait a minute. We need to have that ready to go. Well, because Mustafa, listen, I, I'm supposed to be the preacher up here, but Mustafa had to make preaching today, y'all. I know. Yeah, y'all, y'all, are, y'all are on fire. I, and listen, I know why y'all are on fire, too, because this week, I'm going to tell y'all something. Some, I, you know, I always bring the good news, so, but my folks at the Sunrise Movement, man, thank, man, if you don't know about Sunrise Movement, listen, they had over a thousand people yesterday who came to Capitol Hill to demand support of a Green New Deal. I'm not gonna get all into that. What I'm gonna tell you to do is go to last week's show. Uh, I was, I wasn't here, but I heard my brother TC Muhammad and mm-hmm. Antonique mm-hmm. and Mustafa interviewed the Sunrise Movement. So this mm-hmm. is your time to go to think100.info to go and check out some of the archive show. That was one of the ones. It was just last week. So go find that show and they will break down everything with the Green New Deal. But this is the thing. Young folks are putting their bodies against the machine and bringing it to a ground grinding halt. That is the power they are getting folks, members of Congress, to move. And I just hope and pray that all of us in this climate movement begin to just work together, no matter where we come from. I know everything is not going to be perfect and peachy keen, and you might not want it how you want it, but I just know that I was just so, 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 um, you know, just um, excited about about these young folks at the Sunrise Movement. Mustafa, anything? you want to add anything? I see you. Come on, Mustafa. Yeah, no, I just want everybody, if you uh, actually access social media go out there and check out rev's words on capitol hill it takes a lot of courage to actually move into that space and to share what's really going on and when you hear reverend yearwood talk about how our parents fought for civil rights before but now how we are fighting for existence come on now I mean, oh, you sound good saying it. come on now i mean there's come on we'll stop it. it is it is what it is <laughs> yes indeed we, we have a choice now and, and rev i, I just want to share with all of our listeners how much 
people appreciate you over the years moving into spaces that others sometimes wouldn't go into. You know, people will stand and, and cheer from the sidelines and, and and they'll get engaged in a policy conversation. But when it comes time to stand in front of the spotlight well, and, huh. and to share what's really going on, it takes real leadership from an organization and let me say it like this, Reverend, come on, and let's come go ahead and transition. I want y'all to go out there and take a peek and see how many of the leaders who say they're in the green movement are showing up at certain spaces and places. And then, you know, just kind of evaluate for yourself, right. uh, you know, where support needs to go. Come exactly. on, man. Uh, on that note, make sure you go to both WPFW and Hip Hop Hawkins. Hit that donate button. Because when we talk like this, we're going to need y'all to make sure y'all support us. We don't need to be. <laughs> we need that bail money. We go, no, we don't need to be free. We're going to need to be free like the folks over there. You bail and him. We're going to need to be. We're going to need. But listen, I, I, I thank y'all both very much. On that, you know, we, we, we have a, we have an amazing, uh, guest and I, I, I want to get right to that. We have an amazing guest joining us today, Jeffrey Richardson, who is with Amani Energy. Jeffrey, my brother, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I'm just honored and pleased to be here with you, Mustafa and Tanique. It's just, uh, it's a blessing and I thank you for all of the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you very much for Thank being you, here. Thank you, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, can you just sort of drop some knowledge on folks about what Amani Energy is, you know, why and how did it get started? Because sometimes folks don't see a whole lot of our people running their own uh, renewable energy businesses. Well, that that's true, and we need to have so many more, and there are opportunities. In fact, we have to create and make those opportunities. Uh, the, the company was started, actually, I got into this industry about 2006, working with the company doing business development. We formed... 2008, incorporated in 2009 in Los Angeles. And our focus is addressing the needs of low-income and people of color and getting them into this really fast-growing industry to ensure that what happens in this industry doesn't happen. Um, when we look at the dot-com and computers where they essentially went past and over our communities and those opportunities did not um, obtain for our communities. And so in this industry, which is growing fast, there are real opportunities. There's a major transformation taking place across the planet in renewable energy. And all, for all the things that you mentioned in this last segment around the environment, health, et cetera, we have to take a role in that. And so Imani Energy was started to address the needs in our communities, to help to generate and create jobs, to raise awareness about this, and then help us to reduce our cost and our carbon footprints, which we can do in our communities. Well, Brother Jeffrey, I, I, I actually want to slow down there, Mustafa. Mm-hmm. I think, and, and Anthony, I think that I want to, I don't think people understand who, who we have here. I, I, I gave the introduction, and sometimes I know I have a, either my, my, my losing a drawl or I get quick speaking. You know what I mean? Tafa, so I want to make sure they understand because I think that we have Jeffrey Richardson here, who is the CEO. I want to make sure that's clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, come on now, of Amani Energy, and what's, when was I was questioned with off the off the beginning was about we don't have many people of color leading businesses, and in some cases in, in in the clean energy field. Really, in some cases a lot of businesses at, at all. In some cases, right, you know, right. so it's you know we get to be it's good for us to be the boss and and mm-hmm. that aspect. So you know, one I want to thank you for that. Um, and, and I know that there's a lot that goes into that, but 
on top of that, it's also a social mission-driven business model. So, which, which is aligned with the U.S. and global efforts to address the world's need for renewable energy. So, how do you compete? In other words, doing this business model. In other words, doing what, what's the same stuff? Is it doing well for doing? You could do good and do well. Do you could do you could do good and do well. That's the business model. So, explain that component and kind of dig deep more into how the business model aligns with the efforts around the world's needs for uh, renewable energy. Okay, so we were started as a result of that. In, in terms of my own personal background, I come at this by way of um, working as a journalist and working in the educational arena, but being a community organizer. Okay. I spent many years as a community organizer uh, working in my own hometown of Pittsburgh, South Los Angeles. I worked as a union organizer, and I've worked in movements. So I come to the work in, in mining energy from the movement to business as opposed to the business to doing social justice work, free South Africa movement, um, peace movement, housing arena, uh, dealing with police abuse issues in our city of Pittsburgh, the first city to be put under a consent degree mm-hmm. and really worked on those those issues. So that undergirds all the work that we do. So fundamentally, from the very beginning, the company was started to address issues of social and economic justice. And we were looking at ways, what ways can we actually concretely do that? And so with solar and renewable energy, because it's actually growing and there are real opportunities then we decided to move in that direction to merge those two. I had done some work in economic development as well. I worked with a group that used to exist here called the National Congress for Community Economic Development. So those experiences came together when we looked at a fast-growing industry, an industry that is addressing some of the key needs in terms Mm -hmm. of cleaning the environment and creating jobs, and then the lack of opportunities for our communities. And so bringing all those together was very important. Um, it, It ties into our transition away from fossil fuels globally, and at the community level as well, that we see our cities, our towns, our institutions move away from this, and very concretely about going solar and utilizing energy efficiency. These are things that we can do concretely at the community level. Individual homeowners can make decisions to do hmm. this. So it, it took the idea and helped to concretize it with a fast-growing industry and then to create opportunities for people in our community specifically so that we are the primary focus of this company. Hmm. Wow, wow. So let, let's actually kind of tie this together with some of the stuff that we see going on both uh, domestically and internationally. we got this current U.S. political climate, and we got all kinds of attacks that are going on and efforts to protect the environment and move to the green economy. You know, talk a little bit about how the work in the solar arena addresses some of these issues. Hold on, Jeffrey. Explain for people green economy, Mustafa. Yeah, so we have opportunities. So we've had this fossil fuel economy uh, that came out of the industrial movement. Um, and, you know, we should always be very honest about it. It was important at that time because we didn't have alternatives. So, you know, folks were utilizing coal. They were utilizing oil uh, and to a degree a little bit around natural gas. Um, but now we have these opportunities to utilize really clean, green energy sources that don't impact our health, um, don't impact workers, because sometimes people forget about that. Those men and women who are going down those coal mines, I know grandfathers coming up with black lung and all these other types of things. So we have this opportunity now. So, Jeffrey, if you could talk a little bit about this. Well, um, I think we're dealing with a, a moment where <clears throat> the, the world is trying, <laughs> facing opposition from our own country, unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, to move to, to save the world. I mean, this is not an exaggeration. Um, this is where we are at at this moment. 
And so the political climate in our country, unfortunately, has moved far to the right. Um, some would say we're moving towards like a fascist government in our country. Mm-hmm. The silencing of dissent, the silencing of thinking, um, tax on the press. I used to be a journalist, so I understand that as well. And of course, massive attacks on efforts to clean and protect the environment. And that's what's taking place here. So this current political environment, we see this struggle to keep us in an old world, a world that is dying, a world that is causing us to die and causing the planet to die. Mm-hmm. And you have forces, high money forces, corporations, um, very well-heeled companies, individuals who are working to maintain an economy that we have to move away from. And so in our current political climate, we have these attacks, as you would know probably better than anybody here, mm-hmm. on almost every piece of legislation that is geared towards strengthening and moving us to a clean economy. And that has had some impact on the solar industry as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been uh, this tariff situation that we're in. That was a problem. We had a couple of companies that sued a couple of uh, Chinese companies to not have modules mm-hmm. come in and put tariffs on them, increasing about 30%. That slowed things down a little bit over uh, this past year after solar had been growing year over year significantly. Mm -hmm. So those are some things that we're dealing with in the environment and also just the consistent messaging that we need to stay with coal. Sometimes that filters down to people at the community level, and sometimes people don't understand that solar is here, solar is now, and solar is moving rapidly across the world. It's not a technology that needs to come into being, that needs to be uh, ready for use. It is here now, and it is making a tremendous difference. So those are some of the things we have to work through, the political issues, um, the propaganda that's out there, and then the, the economic forces that are putting money into trying to prop up an industry that's, one, sucking money from our economy that mm-hmm. will not recover mm-hmm. and that money will be lost and it will be debt on the American public and it is currently destroying the environment. And so our thing is to move to a clean economy, and that involves both addressing this at the business level, the community level, and, of course, at the policy level. So we're, we're, in, a, we're in a fight. It's an old world against a world that is working to become a new world, uh, the world that we want to see come into being. Yeah. So, so if you if you're just tuning in, you're tuning into Think One Percent, the coolest show on climate change. We, we have with us in the studio Jeffrey Richardson, who is the CEO of Ivani Energy, who is breaking down the the solar industry. And so, I want to kind of pick it up, Jeffrey, with with this. I mean, clearly you're a businessman, you're running a company, and so uh, on one side of the sector, um, you know, you're going to say you're, you're definitely going to talk about renewable, and you're going to you're going to want to push for a clean energy and then the other side is going to be the fossil fuel industry and say no you know we want to stick with you know coal and gas and oil um so the question really is that what 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 can be done at the grassroots level that can facilitate the growth of the solar renewable energy and green jobs um well thank you and both of you and everyone for again this opportunity i'm i'm so excited to be here and i, and I would say that at the we're excited to have you here that's right <laughs> cool. at the community level um i think first looking at our elected officials that's one thing we can do and i'll start with there and we'll back right to the community at the city council level district level etc you have access to people who should be signing on to 100% renewable energy for their cities, right? Mm-hmm. And if they're not doing that for the city, the people who live in the city should be approaching the elected officials. The folks who are listening, who are tuning so. in, can you explain what that means to 100% renewable in each city? So that each city would now, and most cities are getting their energy uh, from, it could be coal, it could be nuclear, and some mix of those. Um, so we should be moving to 
clean energy like solar, like wind. It could be geothermal, other mix of this. And, and that's something that can be done. Um, so cities should be pushed. And people in the communities have the power to push their local officials, mm-hmm. city council, elected officials, to move to adopt policies where, first of all, does the city, where does the city get its um, its power from? That's right. The city should be using clean energy. And what percentage of clean energy is the city using? Mm-hmm. That's right where you live. And then there's the institutions. What the, the school district? What is the school district using? What are the colleges and universities? What are the businesses? You know, all the county buildings that exist where we live. And then our institutions, like we go to churches. What do we do with our churches? Where are our churches getting the electricity? How many churches have solar? How many churches are utilizing energy efficiency to reduce their costs? Mm-hmm. How many churches are having educational events to give people information on how they can do this right in their own home by getting energy efficient appliances, getting LED lights and other things like that, um, sealing their homes, which can create jobs and does create jobs, and people can be trained to do those jobs in our communities. So right at the community level, there's a lot that we can do, but our elected officials sometimes either don't know or they're not taking the right decisions or they're being kind of boxed in by lobbyists for coal and fossil fuel industries. We have to stand in the gap and move forward progressive policies right at the community level from where we live in our own houses and what we can do all the way up to our institutions, elected officials at the local, state, county, and then, of course, up to the national level. Mm-hmm. Well, you said a lot there. I, I want to unpack some of that, but Mustafa, I know you got a question. Yeah, and we should let folks know also who want to call in um, the number, 202-588-0893. You definitely want to get a piece of this conversation. I know lots of folks out there. I'm, and I'm looking for Gary from Madison. This is, this is my, I, I haven't heard from Gary from Madison for a while. <laughs> yeah. We're looking for uh, Gary from Madison, Wisconsin, always calls in periodically. So I know you're listening or hopefully listening. So if you're listening, Gary from Madison, definitely give us a line. Give, give us a call. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, you know, Jeffrey, um, um, there's some interesting dynamics that are going on. So, you know, I want I, I just want us to take a second and, and kind of get at that. And so we know that we have uh, like the Black Chamber of Commerce uh, who likes to they like to roll folks out. Uh, there's one individual. We're not even going to give the name. Um, but, you know, they say that if we move to a renewable energy, then, you know, black folks, Latino folks, poor folks going to end up having to pay more money for their electricity costs. So I, I want to start to deal with some of these misconceptions that are out there around solar and renewable energy. Can can, can you sort of illuminate for, yes, for folks? Yes, yes. So there's the issue around, you know, we're going to destroy industry. You're going to take away jobs. That's one thing that's been used over and over again. And it's actually been somewhat effective because people believe it. But the reality is, is that solar, and I'll just read a couple of figures from the Solar Foundation, um, has created like 250,000 jobs as, as of November of 2017. Mm. Uh, solar employees twice as many workers as the coal industry, three times as many workers as the wind industry, mm-hmm. and almost five times as many people as the nuclear industry. It employs almost as many workers as the natural gas industry, which represents 32% of electricity generation. So as a job generator, solar is, like, strong mm-hmm. and growing more. So that's one thing for our, our economy and for the people in our communities. Mm-hmm. Just at the household level, solar is going to help you to reduce your cost. If you're paying $200 a month for electricity, that's $2,400 a year. That's $24,000 in 10 years, $48,000 over a 20-year period. Mm-hmm. If your system, let's say it's a 6KW system, let's say it costs $18,000, that means that in less than 10 years, you're going to get a payback for that system, mm-hmm. right? You're probably around year 
seven, eight. That system will pay itself off. That means that after that period of time, all that is savings for the individual. If a person out of household does nothing over that same period of time, they're going to be giving twenty plus thousand dollars to a utility that they don't have to do. So when I talk to people and ask them these questions, what would you do with that same twenty thousand dollars? You have a family, you have a mm-hmm. son, a daughter, other things that you need to deal with. You could invest in to help your family. Why not do this? It's not an issue. Is if I do nothing, things will get better. It's if you do nothing, you will continue to pay more and you will lose. So economically, it just makes sense. So then the key becomes finding the mechanisms to make it work for people. And that's a financing issue. And there are some solutions for that. But to do nothing is not good. And at the minimum, utilizing energy efficiency, which has a lower price point, is going to help to give you an even faster return on the investment and to save real dollars, not make-believe dollars, real dollars. And I think our folks on from other arenas, I guess the people like you mentioned from this chamber. I didn't um, know who he was. I was talking about. Yeah. I didn't know. He, he said he wouldn't, he wouldn't get no names, but mouth, you know, but, but we have to, he, we might have to tune in, uh, go to EJ in action, uh, on, on his Twitter to get some of the scoop on that. But we, we, we gotta, we gotta figure out who's saying that, saying that stuff here. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I'm gonna, yeah. don't start, that won't be nothing. So I'm, I'm, right. I'm, 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 I'm gonna leave that one right there. I do want to say this, Jeffrey, that, um, I was blessed to give the, um, commencement address um, for Ray Lewis uh, for Ray Lewis former Baltimore Raven a Hall of Famer he has a school um, called Power 52 and they teach actually solar panel installation Uh, no it is it is and he's talking about how you know lifting people out of poverty how you can fight poverty and pollution at the same at the same time um, I know we got some questions. I know we got something we want to bring up here, but let me ask you this question directly because you mentioned this uh, for our communities. How does this impact, particularly how are people of color, low-income people, really, are they getting on board with solar and with renewables? Um, are there barriers, like there, people are renters? Um, what are some of the things there that are just, is, is there, is it, you mentioned the church and the mosque, Creating education so that people can be more, can be educated on these issues. You mentioned, so what, what can be done so more people in our communities can be a part of this, of this, of this clean energy movement? Okay, um, I think all of those, all of the above, the churches, the mosques, community organizations, uh, community solar, this is something that's growing in many states. So with community solar, depending upon how it's, it's um, organized, you don't necessarily have to be a homeowner. So mm-hmm. imagine a solar mm-hmm. field where there's modules there and you can purchase three of those modules, right? That's what you can afford. The electricity generated from those modules will be credited to your utility bill, reducing your utility bill. And so you can buy in where you can fit in, where you can afford, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the way to do that. So that helps to eliminate the issue of having to be a homeowner, et cetera. So these are some of the solutions that are really being active. Um, um, Bulk purchases. Like imagine a community group, a church that gets together because they get money every week. I'm going to talk about them a little more in a good way. So (laughs) since you do that, let's leverage those dollars and get more people in the church to sign up so you can get and drop the cost even for those who purchase solar. So the cost itself is lower, like bulk purchase, like a co-op, if you will, Mm. right? And then you can move literally to start a co-op where communities move to own power generation. They raise money. They give out memberships. They have a system built, and they're able to help to reduce the cost for people who join in as members, right? Because you're going to be paying electricity anyway. Mm-hmm. One of the things about this is that you will continue to pay electricity costs. It's not like, well, okay, I'm not going to do that, so I'm just not going to do anything. No, you will continue to pay. Otherwise, at some point, a utility comes in and says, 
we're going to cut your electricity off. Mm-hmm. So these are options that are very real, and people can take real action at the community level. So what you're talking about is, because, you know, Rev and, and myself, we talk about building community power. That's right. So this sounds like what you're sharing with us is that folks can actually build power. They can actually create their sort of their own economic democracy, if you will. Exactly. And and just imagine this. So um, we're doing a program where um, maybe we'll talk about this, but one of them is um, getting people to sign up for solar. So and we worked out the situation where if we get 50 kW of solar, which might be about seven or eight houses installed, for each of those, we do one free system for a one three kW system for a low income resident. So mm-hmm. as we get more people to do solar, we hit a certain threshold. We can do a free one for a low income resident. As we continue to hit another threshold, we do another free system for a low income resident. So these are just all types of creative things, and this is very creative, I must admit, mm-hmm. because particularly working to address the needs of low income people, the legislation is far behind what the needs of the people are. There are things that are being done, and it's becoming more. Um, factored into how solar is is moved, but we need so much more for low income residents. Let's talk about that real quick. I know you got. I know I'm, I'm just messing up y'all because he got questions coming to him and folks online. I know he has to say that, but I, this is just a, just a man. This is a fascinating conversation. Thank you for what you're doing for your company, and thank you for your work is actually helping to save our planet. Well, thank you for having me here, and I'm thank you for what you do. You you're inspiring me. I mean, I'm like well, I'm well, we, 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 we it's on both sides, and and I want to talk about the inspiration because I. I I was, I remember President Obama putting, and, and remember him putting the solar panels on people's homes in Baltimore. And I remember one of the things from that was that when President Obama made a comment, so this is a two-parter, what was that program, if you can remember that, what, what, what was it, or what, what, what's the benefit of the government helping to put the solar panels on people's homes and then they can kind of go from there? And then what's the other part of that question is this. He made a mention that he said that, um, you know, this is, it was a, it was a, an article in the Baltimore Sun that made mention that the climate change isn't just for white people. I'm talking about solar. So as somebody who's in the solar industry, what does it mean when the president gets, when the president at that time gets excited, um, about folks like you? getting involved in this movement, and then what kind of programs do you think can be done from the government that can actually help this to move along faster? Um, okay, I'll start with the um, government piece. So the government helps to finance all kinds of things all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we actually subsidize the fossil fuel industry. Come on now. Which is the, one of the most mature industries on the planet and does not need to be subsidized. My goodness. Can I, can I give you some numbers on that? <laughs> please, please, please. $50 billion. Thank you. 80% goes to oil and natural gas. 20% goes to coal. So when you see these folks on Capitol Hill talking about we need to, to prop up and, and help them to have a level playing field, well, I, you know, I think that that's corporate welfare. Um, when you're giving billions and billions and billions of dollars to an industry to try and make it competitive and industries that have actually impacted people's health. So now you got an opportunity to sort of put a stronger foundation underneath of energy sources that actually help to improve people's health and helps to give people jobs. So, right. Jeffrey, I'm going to let you go ahead and take it from there. Well, thank you. That that That's perfect because I think all those things are what a sound, healthy, humane, caring forward-thinking government should do Come on. is to invest in the future of the people of its nation. So in doing that, you're going to be investing in jobs with government funds because it's going to help to create jobs and employ people. You're going to help to reduce the suffering and pain of people, and you're going to help them to save money. 
they save money, they probably can pay their taxes, all these different things. They don't have uh, the unemployment numbers can be reduced. Right. These are things that can happen. And so. It's important that government utilize the leverage that it has. It can now, Jeff. I got to be there one second. Mm-hmm. Now. I mean, you you are a good good brother, because I know some folks in my neighborhood. The first day when they save money, they may not be looking to pay their taxes first. <laughs> well, <laughs> that may be, not be first on that list. You know what I'm saying, Tom? But not, the list may not be. I save money. I got solar panels. Pay this tax. Somebody, they might be looking to get you know something else. You know, but you know, but with that being the case, y'all hear it right here that if you you can save. <laughs> Money with this plan. Go ahead. But your, your, your point is is absolutely well taken, and I agree with you one hundred percent. I was speaking like if I'm speaking to a government person, like you know, I'm, I'm making a case to a government person. If people have more money, you know they can pay taxes. I mean that's that's what happens. But from the community perspective. Those are going to go to basic human needs, and I absolutely yeah. agree. You save money, it's like we're already they can pay other bills up against the wall. So yeah, they can pay health care, food, food. Heating, they get diapers. Anything. All Education. Yes. The yes. Which we need. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's like being wise with our dollars and putting those monies back into our communities in ways to help improve people's lives. And fundamentally, it's at the most basic level. And the reality is that low-income, poor people pay a disproportionate share of their resources mm-hmm. to heating, keeping a house, et cetera, et cetera, just staying alive. So mm-hmm. this helps to shave those funds and puts more money on the table for them to use to improve just their basics, just at a really, really mm-hmm. fundamental level. And, and let's say if you're paying, again, $200 and you're able to knock this down by $100 or $75 a month, that's real money, Yes, mm-hmm. right? You're talking about geez, almost $800 a year that you can use now to do something else. And so this is very, very important. And so when you multiply this times millions of people across the country, you're talking about a significant amount dollars. And then the other thing is that since we are subsidizing the mm-hmm. fossil fuel industry, we need mm-hmm. to stop that. And that creates a, another huge pool of funds. Instead of investing money in fracking and all these other things that are destroying, destroying water quality, creating earthquakes, you know, polluting the air, why not invest in industries that we know are growing that give us a healthy, safe future that mm-hmm. create new jobs? That is the kind of sound investment that a government should do. And that's what we must fight and push to make the government do. It's happening in various ways. Various states are doing individual programs. We don't have a national coordinated real energy policy in this country. That's a whole other problem. That's mm-hmm. a whole other discussion. Now, but, mm-hmm. yeah. That's why we need a Green New Deal. Yes, sir. Thank you. But, but you know, so just tying this all together with the, uh, you know, Rev, we've been getting some uh, questions that have been coming across from social media. You know, since the Trump administration's coming, it's about $20 billion a year in those subsidies. You know, so when you add up the time that, they, that they've been around, we get close to that $50 billion number. And A.J. from Alabama, uh, who's actually new to the movement, um, had a question for us. And he wants to know how governments are held accountable for their climate pledges and decisions. Um, so, you know, how does that play out? Okay. Hmm. So I guess, and you could probably, gee, you say a lot about this one, how they are actually, actually held accountable is right. one thing. What we have to do is another thing, which I think is we have to put the pressure on government officials we, as community people, you talked about all the work that's going on in D.C., all the young people that are coming down. I saw uh, I saw you, Rev. and giving that speech. I mean, I was fired up. So I think getting ourselves directly involved. If we see what's happening, we can look at France. People are dealing with issues of wages and income, right. and they're like, mm-hmm. they're like in the streets. Mm-hmm. So I would say for us, we have to begin to activate, to energize, 
to take our anger, our despair, and focus that into organizing and mobilizing and putting pressure on the elected officials and institutions to address our basic human needs. This is our right. Mm-hmm. And we need to push forward the question of whether this system works as it is. It doesn't work, right? I talked about dying systems. We got the petrol right. fuel, fossil fuels, but our economic system is broken. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for us. Mm-hmm. And so we have to ask questions like many other parts of the world is moving towards more equitable forms of government, questioning even our own, our whole focus on our economic system as a structure. It doesn't work for our people anymore. And we need to look around the world and see what other people are doing and then embrace those, the best ideas that we see functioning around the world, whatever the name is. It could be socialism, capitalism, but capitalism isn't working. That's what we call our system. It's not working for us. And that's not a revolutionary statement. I hear people on the in the right wing talking about their concern about where things are. We have a system where wealth is being taken to the very top. It's not being shared. That's not even good for businesses, you know, many businesses across our country. So the sharing of wealth is critical, and that has to happen. And mm-hmm. we have to force our governments to do that and not at the level of contracts. Let's say a city was going to do a contract, mm-hmm. and they're going to do a big solar power system to help the people. But if they keep giving it to the big companies over and over again who don't employ people, who aren't held accountable, that's still not going to change. So we have to talk about how do we organize ourselves and press our elected officials to see a new vision of how we should organize our cities, our states, and our country to meet the needs of people first. Yeah, I agree with you. And Rev, let's let's just um, sort of um, uh, unpack this a little bit because Rev and myself and others often talk about if we're going to move to this new economy that all of us are talking about, this green economy, we got to make sure it's an economy that works for everyone. And we also got to make sure we don't make the same mistakes that were made before. So how are we going to ensure that communities of color, African-Americans, Latinos, indigenous folks, Asian and Pacific Islanders, how are we going to make sure that they have the opportunity to create their own business? And then there's another part to that from, you know, working all the years that I did at at various levels is how are we going to ensure that the contracting and subcontracting opportunities, that there's equity in that process as well? Can you talk a little bit about your journey in that space? Oh, my goodness. Wow, this is a shoot, boy. We don't play here. Yeah, I love it. This is a big one because, you know, basically, how do I say this? We we have a high level of, like, graft and corruption in this government. I have to say that. I mean, on the contracting Mm -hmm. side, it's really bad. Um. And I can go to almost any city in this country. I can go to D.C. I used to live here. And I would guarantee that um, most of the contracts, there's usually a few companies that get contracts year over year. Um, although they're supposed to be open and competitive, it doesn't typically happen. Uh, if you look at the employment, the workforce, you can be in a city. Let's take a D.C. where you have, let's say I'm a, a large black population or I'm in Wilmington, Delaware, where we have like a 54, 56 percent black population. If you look at most of the jobs, you just don't see people on those jobs. You see very, very few. So there has to be there's a significant disconnect here. And that has to be organized and planned. Mm-hmm. You can't have that happen in the city year over year over year where there is not an orchestrated effort to keep people out. So we have to raise our voices and demand. This is something that's part of our history, demanding mm-hmm. that all people have opportunities and access to jobs, to have the contracts. We're paying taxes. I heard something about no taxation without representation. There it's it supposed is. supposed to be part of this country's history that we talk about. So if we're paying taxes and we're not getting benefits, then we need to raise our voices. We need to move to act mm-hmm. and to, you know, in some instances. Yeah. No. What- if we have to stop the work, keep it from happening. I mean, am I, I teach a course and we deal a lot with um, Dr. King and 
civil disobedience, I mean, nonviolent direct action, and we got to bring things to a halt. That's how you get attention, and that's, that's how right. you get things done. we got to start doing that. Well, folks here in D.C. have a question for you. So Jerry from D.C. wants to know, what's the relation between renewables and new housing here in D.C.? So maybe we should kind of tie that together with uh, the 100% clean energy bill that made it through the city council here in Washington, D.C., and, you know, we'll be making it up to the mayor for her to be able to sign it. Huh. I'm going to probably have to defer to you on, I've heard some of this, I'm not as detailed about the new bill, I know it's helping to move D.C. up. I think we're around 16 in terms of you know growth in solar. So that's very important. That I do know. Mm-hmm. In terms of housing, now I know when I was here, <laughs> um, the relationship between new housing and solar. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess I would ask, who's new housing for? Mm. And when I come to this city, mm. I know when I was here, I saw housing being developed, and I didn't see many people that looked like me getting access to those Houses. Come on. What I eventually saw and essentially saw was a big broom that was like sweeping people out of their communities, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Under the guise of we're following the market forces and the market is objective. But the market isn't objective. The market is about money. It's about power. It's about race and racism. And it is about the removal of our communities and taking back of our cities. This is part of the process that we see happening. And just to be frank. So, um, I think it's important that all new housing should have, should be energy efficient mm-hmm. and should have solar PV for electricity or it can be, um, solar thermal to heat for, you know, reducing your gas bill. All those things should be done. And those jobs, we should make sure that people in the cities and those communities have jobs, particularly the communities that have been left out to be trained to get those jobs. And in terms of the housing, that's a big issue because Frankly, a lot of the housing that's being built in many cities, and particularly in the core of cities, is not for um, long-term residents, particularly black people, just to be clear, and not for poor people, whatever their ethnic background, just to be clear. And, and basically, we're dealing with uh, massive levels of gentrification that are occurring, mm-hmm. and it's diluting our political power as well. Mm-hmm. So this is a very, very critical issue that needs to be addressed in cities like D.C. and my own city of um, Wilmington, and when I lived out in L.A., the same thing. So it's all over the country. Let, let, let me let me ask. I, I want to ask you a question. I want you to dig into that kind of this little flip of the script real quick. But I want you before I get to that, so I don't want to run out of time. How can people find out more about the work of Amani Energy? Um, they, how can they contact you? Oh, great! They can go to our website www.imanienergy.com www.imanienergy.com. Uh, you can give us a call. Um, yeah, I mean, our number is 323-919-3203, 323-919-3203, or you can send me an email, um, you know, yeah. no problem, jrichardson at imanienergy.com, jrichardson at imanienergy.com, and our website, again, is www.imanienergy.com, and that was on um, the basis of a clear decision. That Imani, that's about faith. That was one of the well, principles. Dropping that Swahili on. Yes, that's why so, I picked so, the name. So actually, look, let me go there for this last this last part. Um, yesterday, this is this is a complete flip description. I'm going to the other side with with Gandhi and not the King on this one. Yes, sir. So yesterday, um, we get on this show earlier. We talked about the Sunrise Movement and this young people in general, young, young people who were in Australia striking, young people who were over at. Uh, over in Poland at COP24, who literally, you know, putting their lives on the line. And one of the things that struck me yesterday is that when the young people who were sometimes as young as eight and nine were out in, in 
in the halls of Congress, and most of us were going to be arrested within their teens, like 17, 18, 19 year olds, and they were getting arrested. Um, man, it shouldn't be going through that, but they were doing that. And one of the things I saw a few of them who, I guess, the moment was hitting them, they were being put in handcuffs and they were crying. Mm-hmm. Um, they literally were fighting for their lives mm-hmm. and they were fighting for their future. And so it was just something to see young people crying in the halls of Congress. Yes, sir. Being arrested, um, just so that we can have a livable planet and clean air and clean water. So I know you speak on that. Um, what, what, what would you tell those young folks about just one, the importance of nonviolent protest, but what it means to literally put your bodies against a machine and grind to a halt? Well, um, thank you. So, um, I, I refer back to Dr. King. Also, I want to do a shout out to a Dr. Tom Porter, who is one of my mentors, lives in D.C., and has been fundamental to my understanding of so much in the world. And I just want to send out love to him and just, just thank you. But let me, let me move on. All right. Um, so um, militarism, racism, and materialism. Militarism, racism, and materialism. Something that Dr. King said were like the three kind of ills that are plaguing our, our world, and they still plague our world. Um, these are things that we have to organize around. The environmental movement is part of that. The materialism, the con- consumption, the extraction of resources, the just total disregard for the environment, all about gaining wealth and then bringing in military powers to protect the industries that do that, dismantling the rights of the people, disenfranchising them. This is all connected and it's highly racialized because we see how the world is divided. North, south, we see the concentration of the former colonial powers, mostly European. But even within their own race, we can see, like in France, people are being exploited. So I think these are opportunities for us all to come together across the world, across race, class, ethnic lines, etc., to come together to see that we are in a state of peril, a state of crisis, that we have the power to make the difference. And the thing that is most important to those in power is that we never understand that we have the power, that we are more, we are many, we can come together and we can make the change because they depend upon us to purchase their goods, et cetera, et cetera, to prop up all of this violence that is going on all over the world. Those young people are taking their place and fulfilling their purpose in life as each generation has to do to stand, to accept, and to move forward and to pick up the mantle, to move humanity forward Mm. in a humane, loving, caring, courageous way. So I would say that they must continue to do this. It is their time. It is time for the planet for the universe they are inspired and they can be inspired by the souls that came before them it is what they must do it is what they can do and don't stop Mm. don't stop and gain courage from all the people around the world who share with you love humanity want a better world believe in a better world and are working for a better world and they are part of a mighty powerful struggle never forget that and never stop Mm. everyone that was Jeffrey Richardson, president of Imani Energy, and you have been listening to Hip Hop Caucus. Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change with Mustafa Ali, Anthony Smith, and myself. Thank you. And on that note, Anthony Smith, take us out. Thanks for joining us this week on Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, a hip-hop caucus platform. 
Let's keep this important dialogue going. Be a part of the conversation by following us on social media at Think100Show and at Hip Hop Caucus. Visit our website at think100.info for blog content, information on upcoming events, or to connect with us. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever podcasts are available so you'll never miss an episode. Rate and review us or simply tell a friend. Climate change impacts all of us. And if we think 100%, we can achieve a 100% sustainable and just world together. Big 100. Big 100.